All scripture is given for spiritual understanding and natural application. So what we are about to begin to read is supposed to give us spiritual understanding to know how the Spirit of God works, how things work, and then we go and use it in our lives. session 19 and we're kind of taking a little bit of a shift from prior Wednesday so if you guys remember in this entire series thus far of the vault Sunday mornings we're covering parables of Jesus right so we're looking at a parable deciphering the parable looking through it and then you know kind of kind of on Wednesdays we're diving into more events sermons other things that Jesus said and did that were not in parable form right and so we've just spent the last six weeks diving into a sermon so that's a lot of what Jesus is saying he, he talks a lot about in that whole sermon about what it looks like basically to be a disciple, what it looks like uh, to, to walk out the kingdom of God and to be a part. And so now what we're jumping into is a little bit more of the events and actions of Jesus, specifically as it pertains to signs or miracles, healings. We have lots of words. So that's what we're going to dive into starting this week, and we'll hit on this for probably about uh, two to four weeks, okay? And so what we're going to do, just so you guys kind of know what the scope of this study looks like, first things we got to do is define what it, it is. Like, what is a miracle? What is a sign? Because everybody defines it. Who's ever been like, they're like, signs, miracles, wonders, and amazing things. And, and, and then they're like, well, what about this? Is this this? Is this? And people get caught up. And so we're going to define this, first off, and what these are and what they mean. Uh, and then we're going to kind of group them as we go through them. So tonight we're going to focus on some healings and things that Jesus had done. And we're going to see kind of some interesting patterns, I believe, if you pay attention as we go through, as to how Jesus tends to do things. There's going to be some things, guys, I'm telling you. Um, Jesus does not fit in the box and does not behave the way you think he should. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that right now. If he did, he probably wouldn't be worthy of worship because he'd act like you. Um, <laughs> and some of you think, well, I am, but no, you're not. Uh, so, and, and we have to approach it in that way because if we, if we approach it and think, well, like, no, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, make sure your Jesus is the Jesus and not just one that you created in your weird little brain, okay? And the reason I say that is because as we continue to read, and some of you have probably already seen it, he says some pretty harsh things that at first seem like, man, that seems almost like insensitive. And really, if you think it, he's not very sensitive um, in, in that regard. He is very in, in touch with his passionate emotional side. We'll see later on. I mean, he, he's a DJ turning tables and all kinds of stuff. Um, but he doesn't tend to approach it the way that we maybe think he ought. But if we look at it in context of the day and age, we see that it actually is because he is hyper focused on bringing the kingdom. And so he takes everything in that filter, in that view, and he asks us to do the same thing. So when we dive into this, this is what we're going to be doing. So tonight's going to be more about healings, but we may have to take two weeks on healings, but because before we even talk about the healings Jesus did, we got to talk about these things called miracles. Okay. We got to talk about them. And we're going to talk a lot about it first to kind of get our heads wrapped around this idea. And then we're going to talk about some specifics, okay? If you look at all four Gospels, there's 37 different miracles mentioned, okay? But we are told this is not even remotely close to all of them. Matter of fact, John wraps us up saying, there's not enough pages. to. I could not tell you every miracle, everything that he did. So 
And they all kind of say that. It's like many, many more. You, you will see as we read through this, there's lots of places where it says they were, he was in this place and lots of miracles happened. And all the, and like, it's just like, I'm not even trying to synopsize this except for just no, should have been there, bro. Like that's kind of how they approach it. It's like, we, I just couldn't, I couldn't tell you everything that just happened. But we do get kind of a glimpse of this for, throughout the four Gospels, the three synoptic Gospels and the one John to his own beat and his own drum, uh, the uh, what's called an abstract Gospel, okay? So we do get kind of a glimpse into this, these kind of 37 different miracles. Now, let's, let's look at this first thing real quick. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm probably zoomed out way too much, right? Y'all cannot see that at all. Uh, here we go. Um, this is in your notes if you have the app and things like that, right? Um, so the other thing we need to know about, specifically, about Jesus and these miracles or signs, as they're sometimes referred to, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Jesus didn't just do them on whims. Like, that's just not how he did things. And it wasn't to be like, hey, look at me. It wasn't to just say, hey, you want to see a cool little uh, party trick? Or, you know, it, it was, there was specific purpose. Every single one of them is accompanied by a message of some sort. And that is to accomplish one thing, which is to prove and establish that he is who he says he is, which is the Christ. Okay? If you're not aware, Christ is not his last name or anything like that. It is a title given to an individual, one person throughout all of history that the Jewish people believed would come called the Messiah, the one sent to save, or the Christ, the anointed one. They're kind of used interchangeably there. So that's what he did them for, okay? So that's why. But you'll also notice there are times in which he refuses to do them, and right? Wouldn't we think, well, no. He would always do it, but no, because he actually reads intensive heart, and we're going to talk about this, but we see in Luke 23, actually, where Herod is basically like, all right, do something, dance puppet, do something for me, and he's like, nah, doesn't even respond to him, actually, if you read the whole story, he's he just like stonewalls him, just like ghosts him, like if, if it was a text conversation, never replied, like just left him alone, and so we see Jesus being very decisive as to when he does what he does and how he does it. We need to take this into understanding because, see, if we were wielding that kind of power, I doubt we would be so wise, right? And this is one of the first characteristics of Christ we have to look at and understand. He used great wisdom, and he allowed God to determine when he did what he did. It was all about fulfilling the kingdom purpose, not his own agenda with it, with all of these miracles, right? Following me so far? Okay, we're not getting too, too deep yet, okay? Let's just keep going. So let's talk about this real quick. What is a miracle, a sign, or a wonder? First off, the one thing you need to know is the word miracle is an English word, okay? Uh, and it's basically defined as a surprising or welcomed event that is inexplicable by some kind of a natural or scientific law, right? Thus, it's considered to be a divine work. That's like the English word miracle. If someone says, it's a miracle, what do they mean? They mean, I cannot explain to you scientifically or some, historically why or how this happened, so I'm chalking it up to it's something supernatural, okay? Not necessarily God, they're just saying something supernatural, right? Now, one of the things we need to understand is the word miracle did not arrive in language until much later. So when you read in the Bible, in English, you're going to see the word miracle. But if we look at it in the Greek, it's going to have Three different words that it's used. They all pretty much mean the same thing, but they kind of give us a little glimpse into a slight different. And these are the three words. Power, which is uh, 
dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from, okay? Um, and then we have sign, which is the word simeon, which literally means something symbolizing and, 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 re- and like, like it's a figurative thing. What's happening that you're seeing represents something else. In this case, a miracle, kingdom of God representing something, okay? And then a wonder, which literally means like something extraordinary that astonishes not people who didn't see it and who heard about it, but the very people who witnessed and saw it happen, right? So a a wonder, okay? So when you're reading in your Bible and we see, and he did many miracles there, nine times out of ten the word that is used is what our current word would be a sign or a simeon. Something that is done that represents something else. This is one of the first fundamentals you've got to understand about all of the miracles. Okay, that's our word for it. All the signs, wonders, and the power that Christ came and showed. It is more often, if not always, used to show you something in the spiritual realm and doing it in the natural so you see what is coming spiritually. And let me just break this real quick down for you. You know why he healed blind and lame people and all the things we're going to talk about and he cast out devils, all the things we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks? He did that in the natural so they could see spiritually what he was here to do. So he was doing it in the natural and it caused supernatural effects and he's saying this is what's coming spiritually. Every single one of them. Okay, he didn't just do it because he was like, you know what? I think you need two eyes, not one. Or you know what? I, you know, I just want that hand to work. Or he didn't do it because he just, like, he did it because he's like, I want you to see what I'm bringing right now in the natural. There's a day coming in which I'm bringing that spiritually. That's the baseline as to what this is. Now, I want to talk about something first, real quick, because before we continue on, even and start talking about how Jesus did these miracles, we have to first discuss, can they even happen? And the answer to all of you are going to give me, because you know, well, we're about to read about it. I'm just going to answer yes. But the odds are in our hearts, sometimes we probably think no. (laughs) Y'all don't, y'all try to be holy, but it's okay. Let's look at it this way, okay? First off, you have two lines of thought. Can miracles even happen? Yes or no? We would all say yes. We're going to talk about this and just uh, as we as we go through this. Okay. The next thing is, do they happen today? Yes or no? Okay. So these are the two big arguments within the Christian world and within the world in general. Okay. And here's one of the best ways to approach it. And you remember, as I said, the definition of religious for you one of my one of my many definitions um, of religious, but this is a good one is to evaluate yourself and say you are religious if you don't have conversations and know people that are not believers. If everyone you talk to is already a believer, you're kind of religious and just you're not advancing the kingdom of God anywhere, (laughs) really. So we need to think outside of our little boxes, right? So the first thing we need to think about is a miracle. Most of the time in this day and age is, no, they, they, they've never have happened. They can't. There's gotta, there is either a logical explanation or someone was hallucinating. That's kind of the general consensus of our day and age, if you hear it. But it comes from a consensus of not understanding the character of God. And I love this example. I've heard it many times, and since I am a tech guy, I like it, is, all right, who knows who created Windows operating system? Bill Gates. Yes? Okay. Who knows who created the Apple operating system rack? Steve Jobs. Now, granted, both these guys are credited to doing this thing. They did not do it on their own. But whichever one you so choose, if you're saved and you choose Apple, that's cool. And if you're not and you choose Windows, that's cool too. All right? I am using a Mac right now. 
Okay, now Steve Jobs actually is not a good example because he's dead. So let's just imagine that this is a, uh, a Windows computer here. Um, so, <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. So, a Windows computer. When I click something, is Bill Gates running around within my computer trying to make it work? No. Created the thing, he exists outside the thing. So, is he constrained by the limitations of the computer? No. Matter of fact, in computers, there's something called the code that actually runs it, or the BIOS. And you can actually feed new events into a computer to make them do something different that they didn't do before. The only way you can do that is if you know how it works. Okay? So this is how we can think about God, is as if God is the creator and sustainer of all things, thus, for him... A miracle is not all that crazy. It's just him. Like, I, totally, I know the cheat codes, bro. Like, I, I, I made this. And it is not. This is the other weird thing. When Christians say it this way, they're dumb. It's like, no, and God, he can violate the laws of nature. He's not violating them. He's superseding them. There's a big difference in superseding something and violating it. God does not violate the very things he set up. He supersedes them. He is not constrained by the laws he created. He created them, thus he is above them. Now, we don't understand that. Um, in our culture right now, we're trying to create that and have, like, elitist people that don't have to abide by the same rules as everybody else, okay? That ain't how it works in our actual life and things, but that's how it works for God. See, so we're not God. We're not like him okay he created all things thus he is not constrained by the space-time continuum and he is not violating the things that he has set up he is simply superseding them feeding a new event in now the next thing you have to understand about that is he does not do this all the time and this is the next hang-up that that all of our counterparts and our, our our fellow humans that don't believe get hung up on well if he does it why doesn't he just fix everything and then we get into a really really deep conversation that we're not going to get into tonight is about so why is all this pain and suffering in the world now anyone who's been listening to the past 18 hours or so of messages that we've been teaching on just here and now we can understand that the reason all this happens is because God said I have ultimate authority and I can supersede all of it but what I want you you to do is do it like I do it. So I give you control of this earth, of this planet, and it is your job to implement what I have asked. If you do not, it will end in death, chaos, and destruction. We can read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 and see that pattern start to come out, and it just continues on and is continuing on. Why? Because of human choice. So when God does a miracle, that is him kind of banging down the door, as it were, <laughs> and saying, hey, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to adjust this thing. Now can you get it straight? If we can think of it that way. And when we position it as if God just wants to do miracles all the time, we start to miss the intent of God, the intent of your creation. We start to miss everything about it. God is not the parent that just does everything for the children. His goal is to get you to grow up. Okay? Now, let me help this one other thing. This is not in my notes, so this is for someone to help understand the nature of God, okay? Two things can be true at the same time, yes? Okay, okay. Let's, 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 two things can be true at the same time. We need to make sure in our understanding of God and our presentation of God that God is not simpler minded than you. See, we can understand that we have multiple things in our minds and desires simultaneously that seemingly contradict each other. For instance, I am very hungry and wanted some of those cookies out there. That is a desire that I have. That's a true desire, and I should not have used it now that I'm thinking about it, okay? That is a desire I have. Another desire I have is to lose weight and to be more healthy. 
So I have a desire to eat the cookie, but I am not eating the cookie. And no one judge me if I eat it after. No, okay. <laughs> Do you see this? This is two desires that when you look at it, it looks like one of my desires is not being fulfilled. But that's not the case. I have another desire that supersedes that desire. Now that's in our own human little bitty minds. Why do we not think God is even bigger than that? And I love this example. I believe C.S. Lewis was the first person to use it. John Lennox is the most recent person that I've ever heard use it. And it's this idea. And, and I, I think of my own house because in my house I have a little uh, play area for my kids, like a little loft, right, that, that they can walk up to and it's like a little loft thing there, right? And it's kind of their playrooms where their video games are and all their toys and what have you like that. And it is Taryn and I's will that that room stays clean all the time. But you can walk up there right now and the room is not clean. So is my, my, it's my will that it's done and I, it's my house, right? But it's also our will that the children learn to maintain and clean it themselves to where when they get older, to a place in which there's, that they can maintain their own home. So both of those things are our will at the same time, and it looks like they're not being fulfilled. But in the background, we are trying to teach and train. Now, there may come a point in which we get up and say, I am going to come up here and enact me cleaning the room, and I may have you right alongside me to teach you. And I may do one or two pieces. Come on, just think about it. You're teaching a kid to pick up. You pick up one toy, look, it goes here. And the next toy, you do it together. And the next toy, now you pick it up and do it. This is the equivalent of a miracle, and this is the nature of God. A miracle is him stepping in and saying, look, here, but I'm not going to keep doing this for you. Quit making the mess in the first place. So we need to take God's understand, our understanding of God and blow it up even bigger. Because if we can understand that, that means it's even bigger than that. And so this is a simple answer to the question of the problem of pain and suffering and why doesn't God just do miracles all the time. This is it. Two things can be true at the same time. God is much more than yours or mine mind can comprehend. So let's not make him even smaller and think, nope, God just thinks it. And I've heard this, and I, I get the, the sentiment, but it's not a, not a good example, which is God can't lie. If he said the sky would turn green, it would just be green, which me in my mind, I'm like, who says it's not green, and we're calling it blue? Who's, you know, <laughs> but that's just being goofy, right? No, it's not that God can't. You just put God in a box. God could do whatever he wanted, but that's what makes him so good is he doesn't. He doesn't lie. He doesn't. He, so he can have multiple things in his mind, if you can think of it that way, far beyond ours. And we need to keep this in perspective with miracles because what you see people start to do, which we're about to get into, they start thinking that the miracles are God. And they say, look, and, and they, when we don't mean to, but we get caught up in it. So we have to understand this baseline thing about God and miracles and how that works. And I hope that kind of just brings a little bit of understanding to the character of God and things that he does. Now, so when we read in Scripture and we see these miracles, this is simply the creator feeding an event in for a moment to bring understanding. And then he says, now, walk forward with that. Okay. Now, a couple of things we see about Jesus in doing these miracles are these signs, wonders, and things like that, Right? Sometimes you see him ask the Father, as he'll say. He'll say, you know, God the Father, and he'll say, he'll ask and say, God, 
You, you come in and, and, and do this. And then other times it seems he just does it on his own accord. But what you will actually find out is he always says, the authority that I have, I'm pointing it back to where it came from. Now, we could learn a lot from this concept alone. But we won't get hung up here. Which is the idea of Jesus himself, whom didn't have to do this, but he chose to. And I, I, didn't, I don't think I put it in here. Um, but there's a, there's a scripture in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's in Timothy. Uh, I'd have to look it up. And it says that Jesus, being equal with God, thought it not robbery. And he says, but even with that, he humbled himself to be a man of no reputation. And we could learn a whole lot about that right there in the mannerisms even that he does these absolutely astounding things, things that are outside of the natural order of things because God is using him to feed this new event in. He doesn't even say, look at me and what I've learned and how I've done. He always points us back to the original relationship. And we could take that and just... Chew on that for the rest of our lives of trying to figure out what it means to give all glory to God. Moreover than that, even, we, we see s- stories where Jesus went so far out of his way to make sure that he didn't get in the way of people getting this full view of what the Spirit of God is going to be inside of you, that people thought he was John the Baptist raised back from the dead. Like, they're like, oh, no, Jesus, no, John was, a, not saying John did something wrong necessarily, but he's like, oh, John, this is, Jesus is just John the Baptist. After we chopped off his head, God sewed it back on, and that's him again. No, he, he, he did, he was so much more concerned with this idea of the kingdom of God coming, and he knew he was the conduit through it and what he was going to do, but he said, I need you to get view of this. I know y'all, yeah, Okay. Couple of uh, Philippians, thank you. Couple of other uh, verses that I laid out here. Again, like I said, I'm not reading these because these are just the backstory. I've got all this online for you. You can study this and read this part on your own. Okay. Now, these miracles and these things, we tend to start seeing people seeking these experiences. We see it in the days, all the way back from the time of Jeremiah, all the way to through the gospel all the way until now, right? We have people that start to seek the miraculous. And God doesn't actually say that this is inherently a bad thing in and of itself to like desire it. But it does become when it becomes the focal point because we can easily see, right? He used the burning bush to talk to Moses, right? He used all kinds of things. He used signs and the manna from heaven. He, used, he uses miracles through Jesus himself in the Gospels, yes? So he has no problem showing us this. What he has an issue with is whenever we just start to want that again and again. And you can actually look at the story of the burning bush. It says God gets super angry because he's like, Moses, dude, like, come on, man. I already did this for you, right? Like, Oh, and, and all that keeps going through my head, refer back to last Sunday. Oh, ye of little faith. And so what does start to become an issue is the seeking of miracles after God's proven himself, and then we need it again. What also does become an issue is the seeking of miracles for the um, what I'll call the ecstatic feeling that it gives you. Because if you've ever been involved in anything when God does something outside the realm of normality, even if it's not like a physical healing thing, something within your heart in a time of worship or something like that, it, it is so overwhelming to our human senses that we can easily get caught up in, I just want that sense and that feeling again. 
And this is by definition seeking the hand of God and not the face of God, which is completely contradictory to everything in Scripture. And so God says, I don't mind showing my power to do it to get you to know me a little bit. But when you start looking at that more than you're looking at me, when you start to observe these things more than the way that I... When you look at the thing and say, wow, I love that end result, instead of, wow, how, how did God... How did he even think of that? You know, like if you could think of it that way. You know, like I can think of a lot of different ways to get someone across, an, uh, you know, a sea. Splitting it and letting them walk on dry land is not one of them. Right? Like so when we look at these things, we're not meant to read it and just say, look at the power of God and one day I want to see him do that. Why? He already did it. I don't need him to do another thing. When we get this view of the power of God, and see, and I put this in your notes somewhere. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I'm getting excited already. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> you ain't got to get excited if you stay excited, okay? <laughs> God is just as much God on the day that he split the Red Seas and the day that he did those things as he is right now, regardless of your circumstance. And we put God too much through the filter of what's currently happening in our lives versus who, if he is eternal, it is irrelevant as to any miracles he has done or will do. Now you're sitting here thinking, but I thought you just said he would. Yeah, but the second we get caught up on that is the second we start to miss the character. Now, it also seems to be the case this. That God seems to put some kind of a higher value on people that don't need to see them. Not on the people themselves, but on the idea, on the faith that it is. And we can see this all throughout Scripture. And Jesus says it, actually, in Luke and, and, and well, about all, almost all the Gospels. John doesn't mention it this way. But he says, wow, blessed are you because you haven't seen anything. And yet you're already believing. And we're going to look at a couple. I mean, we're going to read one story that I'm just like, that is not me. I wish I had that kind of faith, and I, I don't. I mean, and he goes to the Samaritans, people who are not inherently believers in the Jewish side of things. They're, they're an offshoot of it, and he just talks to them, and they're like, yep. <laughs> Think about this. This is in no way degrading the miracles, signs, and wonders and things that Christ did or that God has done. It is making sure that we could put them into perspective. And I'm just going to say it because y'all, you know, all right, y'all love me. I love you. Okay, cool. It tends to be worse in all of us, quote-unquote, evangelicals, and because we're like the gifts of the Spirit and all those things. Are, are they good? Yes. Do we want to see the power of God move? Yes. But I want to know Him more than I want to see it move. I am totally okay if all I had was Scripture and just kept reading it and knew who He was. We have to get to that level to say, even if He never did another single thing ever. If all I had was what was already written, his, his character doesn't change. This is a level of viewing God. And it's a, it's a little bit of a warning to the uh, charismatic, charismatic people, which is kind of, generally speaking, all of us. Now, let me cover the other side of it. That is not to say that they won't happen anymore. Okay? That does not say that God won't continue to do these things. I'm not saying that. Okay? Keep, it, keep it in balance. Okay? What I'm saying is we got to get to the place in our hearts. Because remember, we just read the Sermon on the Mount for six straight weeks. And it was all about the heart motive behind it. Okay. Now, so 
how should we look at these signs is kind of what we've been talking about. We should look at them as not necessary, amazing, useful, but it doesn't change my view of God when I, if I see another one or not. We've got to look at it in this general manner. Jesus looked at them as a tool. He simply looked at them as a way to get people to see God. He just simply says, cool, this is just a tool I have. It's one of the many I have in my, in my toolbox. And if you actually look, and you kind of did a little bit of percentage and seeing how many different miracles he did and then how many sermons and things he said, he was much more of the teaching, preaching the gospel than he was doing all of the miracles. And see, this is where we, we get to that, what we talked about on Sunday, a church that can teach a message about Jesus, but not the message Jesus taught, because we can run around and teach them all about how Jesus, yeah, he taught and stuff, and he did this miracle and this miracle, and we can tell you every story about the miracles that he did, but cannot tell you why he did a single one of them. Because he wanted to heal everybody. No, he refuses to do it in some cases. So why did he do it? And this is what we need to understand more. And Jesus was much more concerned. We're going to see this. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting super excited because I just want to get to the starting to read the healing. So I've got to slow, slow down for just a minute. Okay. So let's look at a couple of things real quick. I want to read uh, just a few of these. This is Jesus' warning to people. And this is how he views people who seek the signs or the wonders or the miracles. Right here in Matthew 12, it says, A certain one of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would like to see a sign from you. But he answered to them and said, You evil, adulterous generation. Again, Jesus does not behave in the manner that you want him to. Now, there's a couple other things. We'll look at this later on. So, Context of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was staring at the people who he knew were actively trying to murder him. Like, so I have to imagine there's a little bit of like, you know, I know you're trying to catch me to, to arrest me right now, like, and kill me. So no, you don't get to see it. Yeah, but, you know, we'll leave that alone. But his answer isn't even like, no, I'm a little tired or no, you know. No, it is evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah. Now, we will talk about this sign of Jonah thing. It's pretty simple, though. Just let me give you a little hint about it. Jonah was in the belly of the well or of the fish or whatever you want to say for three days. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. He came back. Jonah's came back. Not that complex, okay? It's pretty simple, okay? But we're going to cover that in more detail as we move on. So he says, this is what it's like if you're just looking for signs. Now, why? You're going to see someone else to ask for a sign as we continue on. And Jesus says, yes, and he does it for him. Why? Heart motive. Every time, the response of Jesus is looking into the inner parts in the heart. So how? One action is evil and adulterous. The next action is, yes, blessed are you who sees these things. Wait, what? It's the heart. Now, Mark 8, this is this kind of a same thing, right? And, and I love the way Mark kind of says this, just, you know, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, I have a very vivid imagination. Um, so uh, Mark looks a certain way in my head. Everybody has their kind of their certain look. That's why I, I just don't like any Christian stuff because I watch it. I'm like, that's not what they look like in my head anyways. And that's not like, my character of Jesus, y'all don't, I can guarantee you, like, he's pretty brutal. <laughs> and so verse 11, it says, the Pharisees came forth and begged a question of him, seeking a sign from heaven. And it says, tempting him, trying to get him to do it. 
and he sighs deeply within his spirit. <laughs> and I like that phrase because it's like, he sighed so deep it was down into his spirit, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh myself. <laughs> he says, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Very last thing to do, it won't be given. So it's almost like, if we're picking up just real quick. Now, John, y'all know I love John. He's my brother from another mother, John, here. But y'all catching something here. It's almost as if the more you're seeking for it, in the heart mode of all, no, you're not going to get it. So it's almost like we're answering our question, because see, y'all remember this from the beginning. I I, I may be jumping back and forth too much for you guys, y'all following me. But remember I said, do miracles happen? We said yes. Are they still happening today? We say yes, but yet every single one of us can say, do we see them all the time and stuff like that? No. Why? We're not seeking God's face. We're seeking his hand. So we're that generation just looking for the thing, the next quick fix. That's why you don't see it, because we're not the original church. Let's continue on. That's for another day. John chapter 6. It says, they, hey, they said unto him, show us a sign that we may believe. What? Your work. And Jesus' answers to them is, your fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said unto them, very, very, I say unto you, Moses gave them not bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life Unto the world. If you want to study ahead, go look up the word world there. Uh, Now, what is he saying here? Now they're asking for a sign, and he doesn't respond to them that way. Why? There's a different heart moment. They're saying, we want to see you do the work. We want to see you do it. And he's saying, hey, the things that you're wanting right now, that's that's like what Moses got. It's a sign that fixed a natural need. But I got something much better than that. Why? He's talking to a different group of people, which we'll see when we read John. And this group of people, they're, they're, they're not trying to get something from it necessarily. That's not what they're, they're just saying. Show us those miracles. We want to see them again. And he's saying, I got something even better for you. I got something that doesn't. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to just go off right here real quick, guys. I'm going to take a breath for a minute. Think about this. These are people who knew the scriptures, knew the stories. They knew God could do it. They weren't questioning if he could. He said, just, we just want to keep seeing him. And Jesus is like, that ain't nothing compared to what I'm going to do. But what I'm going to do, you're not going to see. It's not going to look that way. It's not going to be that way. And then they don't like it, which is us. The best miracle, the biggest miracle that God can ever and has ever and will ever continue to do is an interchange of someone's heart. No man knows the intents of the heart. So when we see someone's heart shift and change, we should be more excited about that than seeing some leg grow out because that leg is going to die at some point. But guess what? That spirit that came back alive will not. And yet we have, someone starts to change the heart and they're like, oh, we'll see if it lasts. We should be jumping through the roof and saying, that's a miracle. That's the bread of life. But no, instead we're like, well, I just, I want to see some blind eyes open. Can we, can we hang some crutches in some wheelchairs or something? We got to see the power of God. It's like that, hey, we got doctors. We can like put a fake one on there if you just got to see a leg, if that'll help you. And we'll just write God's name on it and say he did it. If that gets you excited. 
We've resorted to trickery to try to pull these things off instead of just saying, let me see a heart change. Oh, wait, you know why we can't see a heart change? We don't know the intent of the heart. The only way to do that is to walk side by side with someone for long periods of time and say, wow, you are a different person than I am. We're totally different. Look at what God has done in us. You can't do that because you got to stay close to somebody. you got to be committed. you got to be holy. you got to look at that miracle and say, I want to stay close to where the Spirit is, and the Spirit just resurrected somebody. But we don't look at it that way at all. I told you I was going to go get excited. Back to the notes. <clears throat> Brethren, we are gathered here today. Now, here's something that has perplexed me a little bit. Earlier, earlier on when I started reading these a couple of years ago, I knew Jesus did this, but I didn't know how often he did it, which is he tells people not to share, specifically when it comes to the healings, more often than not. And, you know, when I, yeah, I knew, I, I grew up in church, you know, so I'm like, okay, he did a healing. He told this person not to. But as I kept saying, I was like, man, he tells them all the time. And that is so reversed of what we would do, isn't it? It is actually not what we would do, what we actively do. We're like, wait, hold the healing, YouTube stream live, everybody capture this. Let's edit it and cut it in slow motion. Look at what God, I mean, we are like professional salesmen. I'm saying we as the Christian people. I got someone on my side right here. And Jesus goes around, does it, and says, shh. Now, we also see people don't listen to him, just like we don't now. But why does he say it, right? Because isn't that perplexing? You would think that that is the purpose. Everybody needs to know this. And isn't that how we treat it? Again, right now, if we took a poll in this room and just grabbed a whole bunch of people and said, what can you tell me? We can tell you a lot about the things Jesus did. We can't tell you a lot about who he was and why he did what he did. We can't tell you a lot about his character. We can't tell you a lot about the spirit that was within him. We can't tell you his driving force as to why he did any of them. We can just tell you what he did. And so we've fallen into this trap because, see... Jesus was much more concerned about the message and what he was bringing to the table with that than he was about making sure people knew what he did. I'm about to say something that's going to tick someone off. Jesus would be totally more okay if people didn't even know that he, that he had to, to, to die on the cross. and to, If they just knew the end result was that your sin were taken care of. Because when you know that, you say, well, how did it happen? And then you start to see the heart of God, and you see it expressed. See, we try to reverse it. We just we, we want a show of power, and we want to do all that, and it gets us caught up on that. And then when you remove that, God no longer becomes God. Jesus no longer becomes Jesus. Well, I mean, he's still Jesus, but he ain't the Christ to you anymore. And you say, no, no, yes, he is. But every action and thing we say is counterintuitive to what he says to do. Now, I hope you all just heard what I just said there. I didn't say no one needs to know about Jesus. Because some of y'all just ran off on, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling. Jared said, no one needs to know about Jesus. Stop it. What I said was his intent was to get the message. And the more he got the message, I've said this to so many people recently, it's became just something. <laughs> that's You cannot, the more you seek the Spirit of God, you can't get away from the person of Christ. You can start without it and say, if you start with true seek and say, God, I want to know you, he's just going to say, there you go. And we try to get in reverse and say, believe in something you don't understand and everything like that. Why should I believe? Look at all these miracles he did. And they say, okay, do one right now. If it, right? Is this not the number one thing that the current world, agnostics, atheists, everything, say, 
If all of that is true, do it. Why? Because we've pointed them to that and not pointed them to the heart. Shouldn't have drank this. We actually get some insight into why he says don't share. Because of this message thing. Because he said, and Mark actually tells us this, he tells us it happened and said that Jesus was concerned about this happening. Where he says, don't go tell anybody. The man does not listen. <laughs> Goes off, tells anybody, and it says that Jesus had to now leave the city and stand on the outside of the city and people were still coming to him, and he couldn't do the work he wanted to do. Yeah, that's right. Something stopped Jesus from doing the work he wanted to do. No, he can do anything he wants to do, but his desire was to do it in a specific way, and we got in the way again. And he says, all right, whoop. Oh, yeah, that just, that just didn't hit home for you guys. Nothing can stop God. You can. Well, we're not more powerful than God. Nope, but he said we are going to be the conduits. So you want to know why this earth looks a whole lot more like hell than heaven? You and me. <laughs> You're like, how does that have to do with miracles? You're going to see. <laughs> now, one of the other things I want to point out here, actually, is in this particular story in Mark, where the guy goes off, and we're, we're going to read it, uh, when he goes off and starts sharing all this and Jesus has to go to the outside and people keep coming to him, if you actually read what Jesus told him to do, he said, here, you're healed of leprosy. Go to the temple. First place to go to. And he tells them, show yourself to the priest because this is according to the law, the Torah, the thing that Jesus, remember, said he came to fulfill. We started with that in session one, so if you want to know all about that, please begin with session one all the way through session 18, and you will be caught up about this idea of fulfilling the law. So Jesus says, go do it just like the law said to do it. Yeah? Y'all following? Go, show yourself to the priest, and then what does he say do? He says, fulfill that law by offering the thing that Moses commanded to offer for that. And you see, there would have been something interesting that happened. I, wasn't, I didn't put this in your notes. But see, when a leper is determined to be unclean, they are now set outside. They can't enter in the temple. They're still a part of the society, but they can't do certain things. And they cannot enter into the temple. Period. So by him being, if we can think of it, that, this kind of ostracized and set aside from it, and him now being healed, everyone in that area would have known this is the guy with leprosy that is not allowed in the temple. And guess who the priests were, guys? Come on, just, let's just think through this logically. These were the Pharisees, the people that are trying to kill Jesus and battling him constantly. And so this man that had leprosy would have showed up to the very people that are against him and said, I'm clean. And then they would have had to follow their own law. They would have been caught in a catch-22 to have to fulfill their own law to let him back into the temple. Oh, it's almost like this is like a representative of what happens when Christ touches our hearts and lives, that we are now put right back into righteousness, into the Holy of Holies, being able to go, no unclean thing. Y'all are not seeing this. 
if he had just done the wisdom of what Christ said. And then the Pharisees themselves would have had to declare it. And then when they said, okay, now you're, and he offers the sacrifice, he did everything right. They could no longer deny him by their own standards. And then not only that, they would have had to ask, so how did this happen? But that didn't happen. See, we don't catch those things. We don't think through how do we compare the laws, the things that they were abiding by, and why Jesus said to do what he said to do. Because we just know he did it. Isn't it amazing? Leprosy was healed. But why did he say that? Now, he said to wait because Jesus was more concerned about the message getting to everyone than people knowing about the miracles. Now, what we want to do, I only got nine minutes to actually read any of these, man. <laughs> what we're going to do now, now that we've laid out that baseline, we can because if we don't look at miracles right, signs, wonders, if we don't look at them the way Jesus was, if we don't think about them that way and we don't see why he did what he did, we're just gonna miss, all we're doing right here is just reading a whole bunch of things. If it encourages your faith, that's cool. But we need to now understand so we can replicate what Christ did. That is why you're called a Christian, to be Christ-like. Last time I checked, you can't be like someone if you don't know what they're like. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to read through these stories and see what Jesus says and responds with and how he does it. Now, every single one of these in your notes, I have, we're kind of following Mark on this particular journey. Okay, reason being is we hung out with John quite a bit at the beginning, and then we kind of hung out with Matthew and Luke a little bit, and then we hung out with Matthew a lot of bit. Matthew's kind of long-winded in his retellings. Maybe I like Matthew better. And now we're kind of moving over and looking at Mark, okay? But I've put in here where the other locations, the same story is located. They basically follow pretty similar. If there are any kind of, uh, of kind of variable difference that like we need to look at, we'll read both accounts. But if you look in your notes, you'll see, hey, we're going to read the one in Mark. And look, it's located in Matthew 8 and Luke. And some of them you'll see it's located in all four. Does that make sense? So we kind of kept it that way throughout it. So let's at least get through... A couple. I kind of already told you this one right here, but I want to kind of just read it for you so you can see it. Let me get over here to, to Scripture. So this is uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. This is the story we just kind of talked through, but let's see exactly how Jesus responds to this. He says, There came a leper to him, and beseeching him, and kneeling down, and saying unto him, If you will, thou can make me whole. So what is the guy saying? He's saying, If you'll do it, I know you can do it. Okay? There's a lot in that statement alone that we miss. If you will, meaning if it's your will that this happens, I know you can. The question was not, can God do what he can do? It's, is it within his will or not? So let's not have Star Wars gospel. God is a force in which if you learn how to use it, Luke, learn how to use your father's power, and then you can wield it and make God do what you want when you want him to do it. If you say it long enough, and no. The question is, God, if it's your will that this happens. Paul had this scenario happen too. God says, nah. Deal with it. <gasps> no. Yeah. Why? He says that it's going to become something that enacts my kingdom. But see, we can't see past our own personal discomfort to see that. Okay, y'all didn't like that. It's all right. Just don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible. But you in turn get you mad at God, so you're calling God a liar, not me. Verse 41, and Jesus, 
moved with compassion. My, my, I, I like this definition of compassion. Compressed passion. Passion, but a whole lot of it at one moment. He put forth his hand, touched the man, and said to him, I will be clean. He didn't say, well, let's have a revival healing conference right now. We're going to pray for the next 45 minutes to get our hearts right first. And then we're going to gather together and we'll start off with praying for the person with the cough. But we're going to work up to that leg growing out. You watch us. And we're going to work at it and work at it. No. He was moving within the spirit already, meaning he was already actively staying the gate to the kingdom of God. And the guy knew it. The guy didn't say, hey, can you get prayed up real quick to try this out? The guy recognized it on him, knew who he was. He was walking in the spirit. He said, if this is the will of God, I know you can do it. And Jesus said, yes, my will. And it's done. We can understand this. Walking in the Spirit shifts the way you view everything. And the only work that you have is the work to be in the Spirit. Okay, let's continue on. You're going to see this as a pattern, by the way. Just a little heads up if you want to put a little notation. Every single thing Jesus encounters, that's how he encounters it. The only thing that he feels like work, apparently, is when he's talking to his disciples. And he just says, how long do I have to do this with you guys? I think he was like, God, Father, I know you said three and a half years, but can we do three months, please? It's a joke. He did not pray that prayer. He says, I will. Clean. It says, as soon as he spoke, immediately, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, meaning immediately. <laughs> you know, he was like, run, force, run. He's like, stop. I ain't done yet. <laughs> and he sent him away, and he said this to him. He says, See that you say nothing to any man. <laughs> Shut your mouth. We could learn. Just, I mean, there's a lesson. But go thy way. Show yourself to the priest. Offer for thy cleansing the things which Moses commanded. Now, we don't know what those specific things are. They are in the Old Testament if you look at that. And this is the testimony to them. Wait, What? Yeah, the testimony is not, look what, look what Jesus did for me. It says, show yourself to the priest. And the testimony is you fulfilling out the law the rest of the way. This will be a testimony that it, what? it came from God. <laughs> so he went and did not do any of those things. It says, he went and began to publish it much. Share everywhere. Blazing and abroad. The matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in a desert place. And then they came to him from every quarter, meaning they came from him from every direction, north, south, east, west. You'll see that. See, we read these things super romantically, and we don't see the glory of God and what he did, the instruction and in how, oh, this is how I'm supposed to handle things and healings within my life. Yeah, I'm going to take people off. That's fine. There's plenty. There's 40-something churches in Red Oak if you don't like it, okay? <laughs> we don't see how we're supposed to handle the healing that he provides. And then, moreover than that, we don't see the very disobedience that we do. See, we read that and think, he was just so excited he went and told everybody. Yeah, but he did not follow the instructions of Christ. We just got through talking for the last two months about being a hearer. And a doer. 
And so we miss this whole part of the, the message right here. Isn't this how we handle things that God does within our lives, whether it be a physical healing, in this case, like it is, or even something internal that God is doing within us? What do we do? God's saying, hold it. Just, just hold it. I'm not, I'm not done with my work yet. Just hold it. And when you hold it to the right time, it's going to be a testimony to many, many, many others. Just hold it. No. We go out and blaze it everywhere. And then, because the work wasn't done, it's almost like it's the grounds now. It didn't take root. And then people look at us and say, must have not really been God. And then the next thing is, after that happens enough, you know what people say? There is no God. I'm teaching it in this manner because I want us to be able to bring the kingdom of God to all people. And if we don't understand that the reason people view God in the way they do is because we're his representatives and we've been poorly representing him. Now, remember, if you don't take into account everything else I said, you're going to go out of here with the shame and defeat. No, we're so horrible. No, don't try to go fix your action. Don't try to fix your mouth and say it better. Fix the heart. We got time for one more, yeah? So this one again, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. This is also mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospels have this particular one. This is Mark chapter 2. This is literally right the very next thing Mark writes, okay? So in this one, we don't really have a whole lot of what Jesus says until the very end. Again, I want, I want you to see the pattern, okay? And again, he entered into Capernaum. After some days, so it's been a little while, and it was noised that he was in the house. Jesus in the house. That's what I imagine. Okay. It says, and straightway there were many gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. Okay, so Jesus is in this house, if you can imagine this. Okay, some of you have probably heard this, this story. And it says there's so many people you can't even get in the door. Okay. Not so much as about the door. And he preached the word to them. So what is he doing? He ain't doing miracles. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. I imagine that he's probably teaching them some of the things that we've already been reading about in his messages and parables. And he's sharing with them and opening their eyes to the way to where they can become hearers and doers. And in the middle of that, and when they came up to him, they brought him one sick with palsy, meaning like uh, he starts to lose motor control, like uh, kind of like MS or cerebral palsy, kind of like that. Which was born of four. And when they could not come in nigh unto him for the press, meaning for, for not like the you know, paparazzi press, like because there were so many people pushing against, they couldn't get in. They uncovered the roof where he was, and they had broke it up, and they let the bed down where the sick person uh, with uh, uh, palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick, Son, my sins are forgiven. Wait. We just read that, and we're just like, and they cut the roof open. Could you imagine? We're just in church. First off, you know, <laughs> Jesus is just preaching, you know, just going to town, which in and of itself, cool thing, right? Like, we're all here, and it's like packed out. And all of a sudden, I mean, nowadays with metal, like you're hearing grinders. You're like, man, what is going on up there? And then it's just like, here comes a bed right in front. And Jesus saw their faith. And he didn't say you're healed. <laughs> he addresses a heart issue immediately first. 
See, y'all just thought, y'all thought, oh, that's just a new way to say he's healed. He did not say this. He said, your sins are forgiven. And it says there were certain scribe sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, meaning they're like, Ugh. and what are they mean re- reasoning? Why does this man speak this blasphemy? Now, let's define blasphemy real quick, okay? Blasphemy is like against God. Like, so so you, has anyone ever heard the word heresy? Okay, and then the word blasphemy. Two different things. Heresy is false, something that is false, not true. Okay, whether you know it's true or not, it just means false, right? So, I'm not going to use that example. Um, that I could say, you know, hey, guys, there's a, there's a, a, a $100 sitting on the ground outside the door. And that's false. Now, I happen to know that's false, but... You know, if I had seen $100 out there, and then you go out there and it's not there, someone removed it, I thought it was true, but it's still false. Yes? The reason we have to distinguish this is because even in our day and age within the Christian world right now, everybody thinks, oh, you heretic, heresy, meaning that you know that you're wrong and you're just doing it anyways. No, it means you could know and you may not know. Then you have blasphemy. Blasphemy is meaning that you know And what you're saying you know is directly diminishing God, is directly against everything that he is is saying and doing. You are the enemy. That's what blasphemy is, okay? So they think that Jesus is the enemy because he just said, your sins are forgiven. Not mentioning who's going to repair the roof. (laughs) And they said... How does this man speak these against God like that? Who can forgive sins but God only? Why? Because you got to go to the, you got to go. What do you got to do? It's almost like the last story we kind of heard this. You got to go to the priest uh, when when you're, you're unclean, and 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 they have to say that you're clean and you can enter back into the temple. Y'all seeing this? But what did Jesus do? We're in a house, a dwelling place. The spirit's here. Done. Only God can. And immediately when Jesus perceived this in his spirit. That they so reason within themselves, he said unto them, and we're about to read it. But what happens? Jesus didn't hear them saying this. <laughs> I kind of like to view it this way. When they came, Jesus saw their face and says, I'm going to do this. And he looks at them and says, watch this, loser. No, like, <laughs> he doesn't say it that way. But in my, like, he knew this was going to come. He knew there was about to be a fight. And so when he perceives it in his spirit that they are viewing it this way, he says, why do you reason this in your hearts? Whether it is easier... To say to a sick man, palsy, that thy sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk. He's basically saying, why are you reasoning within this whole thing about I'm blasphemy God? Do you think you you would rather me just do a miracle? (laughs) You'd rather me just do something right here in the natural to fix a situation than to fix an eternal thing. We're not catching this. You would rather pray to me to fix your natural situation than to pray to me to fix your heart situation. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want God touching that. We'd rather him touch everything else. He says, you you think it's easier to do that or you'd rather me do this? But that ye may know that the Son of Man... Has the power on earth. He said, this is why I did it. So you know, son of man, being Jesus, that's one of the titles. We talked about that in like session two. That he has the power on earth to forgive sins. And he said unto the sick, that's in parentheses, just meaning basically they kind of put that in so you can kind of follow the story. So he's, he's talking to this scribe and these scribes at this point, And then now he turns to the sick man. He says, I say unto you, arise and get your bed and go. Go to your own house now. 
Come on, guys, just put it in perspective. He first addresses the spiritual thing, sins are forgiven. He says, I do it so you all know it. And why are you reasoning this? You think it's easier to do this and that? He said, let me do one further. I'll still do that too. <laughs> now what are you going to complain about? I did too much good? But yes, they do. In a little bit, we're going to find that out too. Uh, <laughs> it says, he immediately took up his bed and went forth from all of them. And so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw it in this fashion. And that word fashion means in this manner, this way. So wait, 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 wait. They're amazed and glorified. God said, we have never saw it in this fashion. Meaning they have seen things before. They've seen something miraculous or something before. But they've never seen it done this way. It's almost like it was something that was so utterly, profoundly different about the miracle itself that the miracle itself was not even the thing they were astonished at. They were astonished at the way that he did it. But see, we just read it and say, there were some guys that were so eager, do you want to have faith like that to bring down the roof? And blah, 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 blah. And we're preaching and talking about all the wrong pieces. Instead of saying, let's look at Jesus and what he just did and said. And right after that, we see actually Matthew. Jesus just simply turns to him shortly after and says, follow me. And Matthew's like, done, son, let's go. <laughs> now, for the sake of time, we'll stop right there. In your notes, you already have the rest of them, but we'll just pick right up here next week, and we'll continue to read on these healings. And there's, uh, we're going to cover um, about six more of them specifically because they're, they're mentioned elsewhere. And you may say, well, I thought there was 37 miracles. Yes, we're talking about the healing type, the physical healings. Then we're going to talk about some of the other ones that he does. Some of them are miracles of power, meaning like he feeds the, the 5,000. Did you all also know he feeds 4,000? You're like, well, I don't hear the one. Like, yeah, there's two stories. They're completely different, okay? Um, so we're going to look at shows of power that he does, but we're going to look at them all in this view and say, what did he do? Why did he do it? And what was the big takeaway from how he said it was supposed to be done? And we're going to find this. First off, we're going to find the fact is when he encounters these things, it is not a big deal to him. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is not a part of the kingdom of God. I'm going to fix this. The second thing we notice is that he gives instructions for people to follow. Have you all noticed that so far? Every one of them, he doesn't just say, you're healed. He says, you're healed, get up, go. Move forward. Or it's you're healed, get up, go, shut your mouth, do the, lots of instruction. It's almost like he's asking us to, to, to be kind of disciplined and listening to what he says and like following through with it. And like, you know, yeah, almost, Amy, like just kind of like we're supposed to be hearers and doers. But see, we get caught up in the miracle and not in the way. And after all, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. So let's get caught up in the way. And I don't think we realize what I'll, I'll cap this, this evening before we pray. I don't think we realize sometimes how much our eye is not singular in looking at the person of Christ. And we drift and veer. And we get caught up in other things wondering and trying to come up with solutions and answers to things. And, and as I said, we're praying for, for miracles and healings and all this natural stuff. 
And if we just shifted our focus back to him, he would correct the heart. And then it would be like what we talked about on Sunday when the heart gets right. And then all of a sudden my prayers become his will. And I, become to, and I began to walk in the same spirit. And I become the body of Christ. Because if you're not aware, there's not a physical body on this planet anymore in one that is Jesus the Christ. You are now that spirit on this earth. Now, if that challenges any of your theology, I will be more than happy to do my very best to explain it in a short period of time. But if you hang on with me through the next uh, 20-some-odd sessions, we will continue to uh, <laughs> decipher through that. Uh, I hope this begins to let you, make you look at them differently, start going and reading all of the miracles and all the things and being like, oh, what have I? Because we've missed his way. And we are going to turn into a church that not can just tell you a lot about Jesus and about his spirit, but we can tell you exactly the message and the mannerisms, and we are walking it out. The original church.